in your in the Word of God to Ephesians chapter six, Ephesians chapter six, verses one through four. Ephesians chapter six, verses one through four. And before we get started, let's pray. Our Father in heaven, Lord, we come here this morning. And Lord, many of us come, Lord, with burdens. Lord, many of us come with struggles. Lord, many of us come with, with maybe hopelessness. And Father, we need you. Father, we need your Holy Spirit to work in our lives today. Lord, we ask that you would take your word and, Lord, use it in our lives. I pray, Father, that I might be clear as I speak about parenting and children. I pray, Father, that our hearts might be open, Lord, to you. Lord, I think of of Amber and, Lord, her recovery after having little Silas. We pray, Lord, for continued strength for her. And thank you, Lord, that she's here. And pray for little Silas, Lord, that he might continue to grow and to develop into the young man that you would have him be. We think of Betsy Feliciano, who is recovering from surgery again. We pray for her, Lord, for healing. Just ask God that you would, in a wonderful way, help her to sense your presence as she's at home. Father, again, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Father, that you love us and you desire for us as parents to love our kids in such a way that they come to an understanding of who you are. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Children, obey your parents, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. As we think of parenting and particular fathers in this passage and children, I'm reminded of my father. Dad's father died when he was 13 years old. And because dad's family grew up two, three, four hours away from my family, we didn't have any kind of interaction with them at all. Very, very, very limited. Dad wasn't raised in a Christian home and pretty much was hard toward the gospel until his early 70s when he did trust Christ. My mother was raised in a nominally Christian home and it was she who encouraged us as children with biblical principles and standards. Growing up on a farm, sometimes we worked a lot. We worked hard in the midst of 95 and 100 degree temperatures. Yes, occasionally we would take some time out. We'd run down to the creek and cool off. But we worked in the fields and we worked on the farm early morning until late in the evenings. And I think about my dad now. He would come home from his regular job and he would immediately go and work on the farm. I can't imagine the stress that he must have felt 
as a father of eight. Father of eight, six boys, adding to that. He must have felt tremendous pressure. My twin brother, Roger, was very much like my dad. Same personality, same temperament. They loved the same things. And because they loved the same things, they spent a lot of time together. Because I was different, I didn't sense that love from dad. It, it wasn't that dad ever did anything or said anything to make me feel like I was second class, but in my mind as a child, I grew up thinking that. As a matter of fact, dad treated us equally, but I grew up with that. And then as, as, as time went on, there was a more and more of a distance between dad and myself. It wasn't until I trusted Christ as my Savior that I began to work on that relationship with Dad. And we worked hard, and there became a bond that was developed to the point where three or four of my siblings have jokingly said, Ralph, you were Dad's pick at the end. You were Dad's pick. He loved you more. And I said, no. But I look back, and I'm so thankful that I worked on that relationship with my father. I'm so thankful that before he died with cancer, I spent a week in the hospital with him, talking with him, praying with him, talking about God's word. I never regret those times. I never regret asking God to help me forgive him to where I felt like he had wronged me. Taking advantage of opportunities God wants us to take advantage of those opportunities to, to love our family. If we're children, to love our mom and dad and siblings and vice versa. Our passage today, Ephesians 6, 1 through 4, we continue Paul's instructions to the Christian home. Last week, if you remember, we talked about submission. We talked about headship. And we continue on today with that servant leader model going into parenting. And as we look at the passage today, I want us to, to remember the culture of Ephesus. The father ruled absolutely over his family. If he wanted them to, to work in the fields, he sent them into the fields. If he wanted to discipline, it was in his hands. If he wanted to kill his son, he could do it. The power of a Roman father didn't end when he got, mar got married over the son. The son, even after marriage, was under his father. And so that idea of a son coming of age didn't take place in Rome. Barclay, in his commentary, says, uh, writes about a soldier who wrote home to his wife and said, if you have a boy, let it live. If you have a girl, throw it out. And the custom was to let him die. And this is the culture the book of Ephesus was written to. As I mentioned last week, the gospel of Jesus Christ was on a cutting edge with marriage. The gospel of Jesus Christ and Christianity is on a cutting edge 
in Ephesus in relationship to, to parenting. Well, last week, we talked about marriage. This week, parents, parenting. Now, I want to say up front, we all make mistakes. We all make mistakes as parents. This doesn't make us bad parents. It doesn't put the welfare of our, our home in jeopardy. There are times that we will discipline improperly. There are times that we'll be impatient as mothers and fathers. There are times that we use poor judgment. But God, through his grace and his mercy, is able to carry us through. I never forget, Zachary must have been about five years old. I thought he had lost a pen or broken a pen of mine, and I accused him of it. And then I found it. And I had to go to Zach, and I still remember the little guy. He was that sense of justice when I said, Zachary, I was wrong. And I showed him the pen. Guys, that was the beginning of a long process of going to Zachary and Jared and saying, I'm sorry. I was wrong. Will you forgive me? And as we think about parenting, that is a part of our lives. That's a part. But when we, mis- when we make mistakes, that doesn't mean that we're bad parents. Well, Paul begins his instructions with children in verses 1, 2, and 3. And if you're, if you're a child, 5, 6 years old in here, up through your teens into your early 20s, if you're living at home, Please listen to what God has for you today. Listen not to what I'm saying, but to what God's Word says. This is very important. Not because of what is, not because I'm saying it, because it's God's Word. It's more important in many ways than things that you're, you're stressed to learn in school. Well, what does, what does God require? of you as children and us adults as, as children of our parents. Two things. One is to obey and one is to honor. Ephesians 6, 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Obey. First, the word children, let me define it for you. Again, it is kids that are able to understand instructions up through teens into 20s if you're living at home obey means to listen it means obey to yield to a supervisor in this case parents clinton arnold in this exegetical commentary writes submit is not strong enough to express that unquestioning compliance expected from children toward their parents Remember last week when we talked about submit and how hard that was? The word for obey is stronger. It's stronger. Paul makes it clear that obedience isn't simply doing what parents require. Obedience with an anger, obedience with a resentful attitude is not acceptable. We're all familiar with the story of the little boy who said, was told 
to sit down by his parent. And he said, I'm sitting down, but inside, I'm standing up. That is not obedience. That's not obedience. It's, God's given, it's a God-given responsibility for us as parents to set boundaries for our kids and expect them to obey. Failure to do so results in God's displeasure for us as parents. And it leads children to rebel against God later. Why is this important that we as parents have boundaries? Why is it important that children obey? James Montgomery Boyce writes, to teach your child to obey, the parent is to teach the child to obey God. To allow a child to defy and disobey the parent is to teach that child to defy and disobey God with all the obvious consequences. So first, Paul instructs children to obey. Secondly, in verse 2, honor your father and mother. For this is the first commandment with a promise. Children expected, or, are expected to honor their parents. And this command deals with a children's attitude. The word honor means to esteem and to reverence. To honor means much more than just to obey. It, it carries with it that idea of showing respect and to care for the parent, to honor them by the way we live, to honor them by the way we live. It means that when we're not with our parents that we don't talk about them behind their backs. John Stott writes about the Christian tradition of the Ten Commandments. If you're familiar with the Ten Commandments, there are ten, of course. And the first four, we've always been taught, deal with our relationship with God. And the last six deal with our relationship with each other, with man. Honor your mother and father is number five. With the Jewish tradition, however, they place honor your mother and father with your relationship with God because it is dealing with spiritual issues dealing with God. That tells you how important that is. And as a matter of fact, in Jewish tradition, a person who cursed their father and mother were, were dealt with by death. Deuteronomy 21 talks about if a rebellious son does not obey his parents after he had disciplined them, that they were to take him to the elders of the city. And then all the men of the city were to stone him to death. And it says, So you shall purge the evil from your midst, and all Israel shall hear and fear. I remember when I first read this after having children, and the pain that I felt of how hard it must have been for a mom and a dad to take their son or daughter to the elders and have them stoned. We're surely not espousing this for our children today, but what I am espousing, what I am saying, what I am saying is, is very important that children learn early to obey. God's sword is so important that he, that he instructed the, the nation of Israel to do that. Leviticus 20, 19, 
For anyone who curses his father or mother shall surely be put to death. He has cursed his mother and his father. His blood is upon him. Again, these passages show the seriousness of obedience. Children, you may ask the question, why should I obey my parents? What's in it for me? Why should I? And Paul gives four reasons or motivations that should inspire us to submit in verses 1 through 3. He says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. For this is right. The New Living Translation says, for it's the right thing to do. Obeying our parents is just natural. It's what's proper. It's fitting. In most cultures across the world, for eternity past, there's been that respect for parents. In Romans 1, verses 28 through 32, where we're dealing with, with mankind becoming debased, and the whole thing of debauchery and depravity, we see that disobedience to parents is listed in that listing there. It says, since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them over to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness, and on down the line to disobedient to parents. First reason to obey our parents then is it's the right thing to do. It's just naturally the right thing to do. Second reason we see in verse 2, honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. God's word says so. Not only is honoring parents in line with natural law, it's also in agreement with God's word. Exodus 20, 12, and 13, there is quoted, honor your mother and father. They may go well with you, and you may live long in the land, or long on earth. Simply put, children, you're to honor and obey your parents because God commanded it. Then Paul gives a third incentive for children to obey and honor their parents in verse 3. That may go well with you. That might go well with you. Honor your mother and father. That might go well with you. God promises that life will go better. Not that it will go perfect. There's a quality of life there. Think about it. Do you know, do you know kids who grew up disobeying? The parents tell them to not do something and they run out in the road and get hit. Remember the situation where a, a guy kept telling his son, stop, stop, stop. He fell into a, like a, a well. We see, when we obey our parents, it goes well with us. That's that quality of life. I had a brother that pushed the envelope from the time that I can remember him. He would run away from home for a day, always, always at odds with mom and dad and with us. As he grew older, guess what kind of friends he had? They were rebellious. As he got his car, I bet this brother had, I don't want to overstate it, probably between minimum five and ten accidents, big accidents. You know, rural area, driving 
55, 60 miles an hour. Police were after him. Finally, he had an accident where his car rolled over and over and over. And at that point, God got his attention, and he trusted Christ. We see that if we obey our parents, life goes better. If we disobey, life is harder. They may go well. Ah, 1 Timothy 1, 9 says, The law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and the disobedient, for the unjust and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, and for murderers. Do you see the seriousness of being obedient to mom and dad? Second Timothy 3, 5 talks about the last days. It says people will be lovers of self and lovers of money, proud and arrogant, abusive, disobedient to parents, not loving good, treacherous, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure more than of God. Avoid such people. Strong words there. Well, Paul gives a fourth incentive for us as children to obey and honor our parents in verse 3, that you may live long in the land. In some versions, we say, on the earth. God promises that we'll have a longer life. It's a, it's a general rule, like Proverbs. Sure, sometimes people who love God and who have been obedient, they die early. But generally speaking, if we're obeying God, our lives will be longer because of the way we love. Proverbs 4.10 says, My child, listen to me. Do as I say, and you will have a long, good life. Listen. I'm reminded in the book of First Samuel, in the Old Testament of Eli. You remember him? Over and over, his sons were wicked. They did many, many things that were wrong. And Eli knew. And Eli did nothing. And eventually, God working through Samuel, the Lord said to Samuel, I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. And I declare to him that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God. And he did not restrain them. Parents, do you see our responsibility with our children? The reason is explicitly stated. Eli's sons were wicked. And though he knew it, he failed to restrain them. Application. Children, are you obeying your parents? Are you obeying your parents? Do you listen to them? Do you keep their guidelines and rules they have for you, for your good? Do you honor your parents by treating them with respect? Would God be pleased with your behavior? Would God be pleased with your behavior? God promises blessings for us as children when we are obedient. Well-being in a long life on earth. Well, after three verses for ch children, Paul instructs parents in verse 4. 
It's only one verse, but it is chock full of instructions for us as parents. Paul gives two commands to parents, one in the negative and one, neg- and one positively. But they're addressed to fathers. And this word father here has been used on a couple occasions to be for mother and father. And we know that parenting is for mothers and fathers. But if you remember, we're in the process, we're looking at this servant leadership last week with marriage, the husband is that servant leader in the marriage. And in parenting, the husband is that servant leader. You know, our culture has pretty much got things backwards. Who tends to care for children? Mothers. Yeah, go ahead and say it. Mothers do. Mothers tend to discipline. That's not what God's Word says. God's word says that the father is the, is the head of the house. And again, everything that I'm saying will be for mothers and fathers, but fathers, because you are the servant leader, you're the head of the house, you, you we are responsible for our children. We're responsible to give instructions to them. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Paul gives instructions for parents to provide the discipline. And again, he specifies it for the father. But again, mothers, you're just as much a part. You come alongside. You're involved with your husband as you parent together. Most of us know that we face a crisis on the home front in relationship to fathers. Brian Chappelle, who is the, uh, the president of Covenant Seminary in St. Louis, writes, Recent reports indicate that while 80% of African-American children in the United States are raised apart from their biological fathers, 60% of Hispanic children and 50% of white children are in the same situation. Does that grab you? Even on the lower end, 50% of the children across the United States live apart from their biological parents. We'll see two instructions. Again, one negative, one positive. Negatively, fathers, we're not to provoke our children. We're not to discourage them. We're not to, to cause them to be angry. How do fathers, how do parents provoke? By being unreasonable? And we, we can all do that, can't we, men? Let's shake our heads. Sometimes we can be unreasonable. By fault-finding, by always seeing the things that our son or daughter does that are wrong, but not turning around and praising them for the good things we see. By showing favoritism by always blaming them for various things, by being inconsistent in discipline, by breaking our promises, by comparing one child to their brother or sister, by not being acceptable, not being, I'm sorry, accessible, not being accessible, not being around home, 
by always saying no, by always saying no. Fathers, let's don't exasperate our children by these things. Positively, parents are to do three things. Parents are to do three things. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Bring them up. One, in the discipline, two, and instruction, three, of the Lord. How, how parents, moms and dads, how are we to bring our children up unless we know God's word? It says to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. We must know the Lord. We must know his word. We must be walking with him. We must have gained wisdom along the way in Christ's school. We must be models. And surely, we will not be perfect models. We need to acknowledge our wrongs and ask for forgiveness along the way. As I mentioned last week regarding marriage, with his help, we can break bad cycles in marriage. But also, we can break bad cycles in parenting. It's a known fact that too often children that have been physically abused will grow up and abuse their own children. I had a case in my own family where that happened. Alcoholics too often raise alcoholics. And get this one now. And adequate, adequate parents raise well-adjusted children. Adequate. Not superior parents. Not fantastic parents. Adequate. Adequate. Because we will fail. We will make mistakes. We will do things wrong. But we can be adequate and raise well-adjusted children. This is a cause for hope for those who feel hopeless. I think of my wife, Chris. Her mother's parents, her, 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 her grandparents on her mother's side, were both alcoholics. Both were alcoholics. So much so that Chris's mom moved out of the house and moved in with an aunt. She became a believer and she began reaching out to her mom. They had three kids, three girls. All three of the girls, Chris and Karen and Vicki, loved the Lord. Cycles of bad parenting can be broken. They can be broken. Well, what are our instructions as parents? First, we're to bring them up. Bring them up. We're to raise our children. We're to raise our children. The word carries with the idea of cherishing and nourishing, to care for them with gentleness. You know, too, too often, I know we've all seen it, people have children and the grandparents raise the kids. And I know the cases sometimes when they're single mothers that we, you know, we depend on grandparents grandparents would depend on child care but 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 the point is we are responsible for raising our children we're responsible to raise our kids to cherish them, cherish them to nourish them to care for them with gentleness 
if we work longer hours for bigger homes and nicer cars and longer vacations purchased at the price of an absence with our children, our values may be out of line. I'm not saying they are. I'm saying they may be. Secondly, we're to discipline, or, or rather we're to, to bring up in the discipline or training of the Lord. This is just a, a systematic training of a child. It includes the idea of correction for wrongdoing, nurturing again, discipline, chastising for improving behavior. We see the importance of this in, in the Proverbs. Discipline your children while there is hope. Otherwise, you will ruin their lives. Now, parents, have you thought about that? Discipline your children while there is hope. Otherwise, you will ruin their lives. Do you know kids who have grown up without discipline and their lives are ruined? You know, discipline today gets a bad name politically. Because of abuse, there's, there's, there's some fears and some concerns. Proverbs 13, 24 says, Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. He who spares the rod hates his son. Now, growing up, I think I told you guys before, I lived on a farm. We had peach trees, and we had pear trees, and we had apple trees. And when we did wrong, Dad would say, Son, go get a limb. I went and got a limb. And he would, he would spank us pretty well. Now, when Dad spanked me, I didn't think, Dad loves me. He just loves me so much he is willing to discipline me. I never felt that. I, I never, ever felt that. But see, if we love our kids, we will discipline them. I remember with Zachary and Jared when they were young, they didn't get, they probably didn't get enough of spankings, my huh, guys? But I always try after we had to discipline them and we, and we, we used physical discipline up to age around five. But I remember always wanting to, to hold them afterwards and hug them because I wanted them to know that I was disciplining them because I loved them. And sometimes when one would keep doing the same thing and I had to do it two or three times in a row, it, my heart, like it, it broke my heart to do it. But... I loved them, and I wanted them to grow up and be obedient. Discipline. If you reject discipline, you only harm yourself. But if you listen to correction, children, you grow up, you grow in your understanding. The ESV version says, whoever ignores instruction despises himself. Whoever ignores discipline or instruction despises himself. As we look at discipline, our relationship as husbands, with wives, fathers, with mothers is so extremely important. I can't begin to tell you how, you know, kids are smart, 
They know how to wedge themselves in between mom and dad. They know how to get in there. A key thing for us as mothers and fathers is to be together, to be together. Have there been times when maybe I was out of line with Zach and Jared? You bet. But Chris would come to me and she'd put her arm around me and say, Ralph, you think you're a little bit too hard there? Do you think you could do that differently? See, we talked, not in the presence of the kids. When I see this happen in homes, when I see this in families, there's such turmoil, such division. Parents, please be together in your discipline. Over the years, I've heard a key principle stated in different ways, but it still comes out this way. The best earthly gift that a parent can give a child is a loving relationship with one spouse. Let me read that one more time. The best earthly gift that a parent can give a child is a loving relationship with the spouse. Powerful, powerful. Well, third word, instruct. We're to bring them, instruct them in the Lord. Instruct literally means putting in mind. It includes that connotation of correction. It refers to the typical instruction found in the book of Proverbs, where the primary focus is training and teaching children. It doesn't have much to do with factual information. You know, we think about instruction in the classroom. It's not that. It has more to do with dealing with behavior and with, with attitudes. So, uh, it, it's a slightly negative term. Parents are to warn away from, to admonish, to um, discipline that which is not consistent with godly living. What you think about parents and, and, and rearing children, I want to remind us that kids are their own people, right? They're their own self. And they're born into this world with a sinful nature. Now, I know that each of you, when you saw your kids, you thought, oh, he, is, he or she is so innocent. So innocent. I, I thought about it, about Zach. You know, first few, Zach always cried. He was like a little, he didn't cry out loud. Now, Jared came along. Now, he could cry out loud. But I still thought there was that innocence. And then there is that innocence in a sense about kids. But we need to remember children come into the world and with a sinful nature. They may look innocent, but God's Word says otherwise. And we need to remember that. The Minnesota Crime Commission did a report, they should report some years ago, verifying what God's Word says. Now, th this is not a Christian Minnesota. This is the state of Minnesota issuing a report. It says, and they can be tough here, every baby starts life as a little savage. And we know some of them like that. We know some of that way. Every baby starts life as a little savage. 
He is completely selfish and self-centered. True. He wants what he wants when he wants it. His bottle, his mother's attention, his playmate's toy, his uncle's watch, or whatever. Deny him these, and he seethes with rage and aggressiveness, which would be murderous. We're not so helpless. He's dirty. He has no morals. He has no knowledge. He has no developed skills. This means that all children, not just certain children, but all children, are born delinquent. And if permitted to continue in their self-centered world of infancy, given free reign to their impulsive actions to satisfy each want, every child will grow up a criminal, a thief, a killer, a rapist. We see that, and in, in, in a sense, there's so much truth to that because we are self-centered. And those innocent little children, their whole focus is on themselves. We've all heard people outside of evangelical Christianity who say, I am not going to influence my kids. I'm going to let them choose for themselves. I'm going to let them choose for themselves. Well, how much wisdom do children have? How much children, how much wisdom do they understand? Parents, our purpose in parenting is to create a life that knows and loves and honors God. We do this as we pray, as we seek God's grace and mercy in our lives, in the lives of our children, we're to nourish them. We're to bring them up in the instruction of God. James Montgomery Boyce cautions us, children are their own people, and they have their own set of responsibilities before God and others. And they may be taught wisely and raised morally and that instruction be supported by, by parent, parents' example. Nevertheless, sometimes they go astray. And that's not necessarily the parents' fault. I think we probably all know some parents who were godly and who, sure, they made mistakes. But the children or one child is not walking with God. I think of the president of Southeastern Bible College, Dr. Alden Gannett, and his wife. They were just wonderful people, saved by God's grace. They had three kids. One son, the older son, grew up loving God, went into ministry, been a pastor all his life. Daughter grew up, went to Dallas Seminary also, and worked, worked with David C. Cook. Now she is head of... Uh, Southeastern Bible College's uh, education department. Love God. There's this one, one son, though, named Stephen. Stephen wanted nothing to do with God or church. Stephen was a partier. Stephen did everything except what God's Word says. 
But later on, Stephen came to Jesus Christ. Stephen walks with God today, and he loves the Lord. So as we hear this, I don't want us, in one sense, to feel guilt that our kids are where they are because of us. And in some cases, that may, be the, that may be true. But in some cases, we need to remember, children make decisions of their own. Well, Howard, not Howard, Harvest, uh, Harvard University sociologist Sheldon and Elena uh, Gluick developed a test that proved to be 90% uh, accurate in determining whether or not five- and six-year-olds would become delinquents. Five- and six-year-olds. It's 90% accurate. They discovered four factors, four factors that are necessary to prevent delinquency. First one, the father's firm, fair, and consistent discipline. Two, the mother's supervision and companionship during the day. Three, the parents demonstrated affection for each other and for the children. And fourth, the family spending time together in activities where all participated. Pretty strong stuff there. Are you doing it? Fathers, do your children get that firm, fair, consistent discipline? Mother, do the kids enjoy your companionship and supervision during the day as much as possible, realizing that some of you work, but are you there for the kids? Three, do, you, is there, do the kids know that you love each other? Do they know that you love them? And finally, do you do things together? Well, as we close things up, we as parents need to find that balance between training and instruction, between admonition and affirmation, between being kind and firm. We find that balance in those three words at the end of verse 4 of the Lord. All we do should be following what God has. Again, children, are you honoring and obeying your parents? Does your behavior please God? Parents, again, remember, remember, our chief purpose in parenting is to create lives that know and love and honor God. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, Lord, as we come as I read through this, I'm so aware of my shortcomings as a father. Lord, where I sometimes am impatient. Sometimes I make bad judgments. Sometimes I'm just wrong. And Father, I know that I'm not alone. I know that each of us as parents struggle to be the father and mother that you want us to be. Lord, help us to be the father and the mother that you want us to be. And, Father, for all the children, Lord, for all the various ages, Lord, from 6 through 20s as far as obedience. But, Father, all of us, all of us as adults should honor our parents. Father, help us live in such a way that we bring honor to our parents. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.